0: Looks like an awesome week at Student Life Camp, guys. That's really cool. Can we give the Lord a hand for everything he's done? Uh, I know Baptist is really our next service, um, as we just love sharing in times when people have made their profession of faith, they declare their life to be the Lord's from now on, and, and... they get baptized to show it to the world, and so we're excited to celebrate that uh, with them. Also, uh, Gwen, I don't know if you just went to camp looking to get your exercise. Every every shot there was somebody off the ground, you were holding them. And so, um, yeah, no, way to take care of your body. That's good. That's good. Uh, but listen, we're really glad that you are here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 uh, today. Uh, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn with us there, Mark chapter 7. Um, we're going to continue um, in a vein of thought that we started last week. Uh, Pastor Brett led us in this time uh, last week as Jesus and the Pharisees have another exchange of words, right? And so we're going to continue in that vein of thought. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for, man, everything that you do for us. Man, we just, we just can't even fathom. Uh, we try to make our lists and we try to pray about these things and pray with gratitude. But we know that whatever we're bringing back to you is just a small fraction of what you're constantly doing for us. And we're grateful for that, God. We're just grateful. We're grateful for new life in Jesus Christ. We're grateful for um, the fact that where sin multiplies, that grace multiplies even more in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that today uh, that our spirit of celebration and gratitude would continue even into a passage um, that we're going to find out deals with just the nature of sin. And so, God, help us balance the reality of the goodness of your grace with the immense nature of sin and help us not get out of balance, thinking that sin is even close to being able to to measure up to what Jesus offers us in his grace and in his sacrifice, but give us a genuine understanding of what this is so that we uh, uh, can have a deeper understanding of the grace that you've bestowed upon us by the blood of Jesus. God, we love you. Be with us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, perhaps you've uh, uh, heard uh, in the news lately, which I'm not a newsy. I'm not a news guy. I don't typically care about what's going on outside of my own world. Um, But um, there is something that's happened, and it's caught my attention. And so I, like many of you, probably read the articles, and I looked at the YouTube videos of, you know, how this stuff happens. But uh, apparently on June 18th, uh, there was a tiny submarine, a tiny submersible craft, and all contact was lost with this craft. This craft contains uh, five passengers who are on their way to see the wreckage um, of the Titanic, which went down like over 100 years ago at this point in time, right? And so they went down to see it, and they never returned. Um, they lost contact. It's a pretty tragic event. Apparently, what happened is that once this tiny little craft holding about five people, holding five people, um, made its way to about a depth of twelve to 13,000 feet, the craft imploded under the pressure. Right? It just, it just imploded upon itself and killing the passengers instantly. Part of the reason for this sounds like a lot of that, the whole of this little submersible craft was made of carbon fibers, uh, when typically they would use titanium or steel, which are tried and tested, I think. They're a little more reliable, so it was an experimental uh, craft, and unfortunately, it couldn't stand the pressure of what scientists amount the weight to be about the weight of the Eiffel Tower. Right, Uh, coming upon uh, that little craft. And so the craft imploded. The pressure wrapped up into itself at a rapid rate. After which, uh, David Corley, who's a former U.S. nuclear submarine officer, says that there was likely an explosion following the implosion. That when the implosion happened so fast that the hydrocarbon uh, vapors and the air within the hole, because of the implosion, would cause that air to auto-ignite at an explosion, at a violent uh, explosion. So the implosion was followed by an explosion, right? The implosion, the pressure pulling in, was followed by an explosion, this pressure going out. And I don't say this to make light of a very tragic event, and it is tragic, but it really is a good picture of a very similar tragedy that often happens in the hearts of people, Imagine a teenager under the weight of academic and athletic obligations with hard-to-please parents. Imagine a man who goes to work every single day in a toxic environment. Imagine a woman who wakes up every day and just feels the weight of taking care of her children while her husband works long hours and keeping up the home and keeping everybody fed and clean and on and on it goes. And when you incur the pressures of the world some of it worldly some of it just normal life when you sit under these pressures without the structural integrity to withstand it that a lot of times what we do as human beings is we implode we implode into places of internal doubt and fear and grief and disillusionment which is also followed by what an explosion of a rebellion of some kind We see it a lot in the faith, don't we? An implosion followed by an explosion. And you think of all the pressures in life, and there are so many, the church is not immune. In fact, the church is notoriously on the list of things that add pressure to people. I think our entire progressive post-Christian world, I think, is partly an explosion because of a lot of church-caused implosional pressures. I mean, how many voices have you heard and have you known about uh, leading the progressive movement that are fueled by experiences with church hurt and with legalism and with uh, the church's poor mishandling of people in tender places? And we see it a lot too as children grow up in homes where they bear the unrealistic hyper pressures of behavior modification and forced spiritual activity. And as these faith-based pressures increase and increase and increase without the spiritual structural integrity to withstand it, children implode on themselves. They implode into crisis of their own identity, their their own faith. And then what oftentimes happens after that is they explode into some kind of rebellion against their parents, against the church, against the system, against caring at all. It's a tragedy, isn't it? We've seen it. Some of us in this room have been victim to it. And there, of course, are many factors involved in this implosion to explosion event. But one of the central issues that I believe causes it is something that we're going to address in the scriptures today. Because when we don't have a proper understanding of what sin truly is, then it causes this pressure. Right? Sin. Is an inside out problem. And when we treat it as an outside in problem, then you can expect implosion and then probably some explosion following that. And so let's look at Mark chapter 7 together. I want to invite uh, Seth Wyram up, who's going to read our passage today. Mark 7, starting in verse 14, and then we're going to work our way through uh, verse 23. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Seth.
1: Good morning. All right, this is uh, page 894 if you have the, the Bible in front of you. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Uh, by the way, Seth here, um, he is the one, if you're a part of a small group, Seth is the one who does the primary uh, lifting of the small group content that we pass out to all of our small group leaders every single week. Um, and so that's a big undertaking, and he does, uh, he does that uh, at a lay level, at a, at a volunteer level right now. And so we're very grateful for Seth and just uh, him using his mind and his giftedness to help us uh, with our group ministries here. So can we give him a round uh, of applause for just what he does? Appreciate it, Seth. Uh, thanks, for, thanks a ton. Uh, but listen, last week we started a uh, conversation. So we'll just fill you in uh, into the context of what's going on here. Of course, you could read the passage again. You can go uh, to uh, the sermon from last week and listen to Brett's sermon about this. Uh, but last week, Jesus starts into this engagement with the Pharisees. Uh, what happens is that Jesus and his followers, they don't observe the traditions of the elders. And in this particular case, they don't wash their hands before eating. Right? They don't do this little ceremonial washing hands before eating. And maybe you have this as law in your home, right? I know with our kids, it's like wash your hands before you eat. That's gross. I don't know what you touched today. You need to wash your hands, right? But you're not going to go to prison for it if you don't. You're going to have a delayed dinner time. That's about it, right? Uh, but the way that the Pharisees were talking about it were like, if you don't follow these ceremonies, if you don't follow these, these human traditions, as they're called by Jesus, then it's actually like, almost like uh, uh, to be ju- like you can actually incur hardship from them. Like they'll make accusations and judgments about your faith condition based on this little thing. Jesus has a problem with that, obviously. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is not concerned with ceremonies and traditions. He's concerned with people's hearts. And so what we have break out before us is this teaching where Jesus re-centers the focus back upon the human heart. It's not just about these traditions and these ceremonial things and the human traditions that the Pharisees were so uh, up and up about. It's about the heart. And so, that's kind of where we're heading today as, as we continue in this discussion. But First of all, recall, Jesus is not, um, how do you say it? I mean, he, he's offended by this. He's not a fan. And what he offers in response is pretty much just full-on rebuke. It's accusation, right? Look at verse 8. Jesus tells uh, these Pharisees, he says, Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. They probably thought that they were, you know, obliging the command of God. Jesus says, no, you're abandoning the commands of this God who you claim. Not only that, in verse 13, Jesus says, You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. You nullify the word of God. Obviously, this made them mad. Uh, They weren't a huge fan of that, but I think it's important to notice that Jesus, in his righteous indignation, does have accusation to those who deserve it. And this is a big one, right? (laughs) Right? When you, when you nullify the word of God, you're nullifying Jesus himself, who was in John 1 what? The word of God. Right? And so he takes, this, he takes this seriously. And so last week we looked at Jesus, and he corrects the teachers. This week he corrects the teaching. And that's what we're going to look at, starting in Mark chapter 7, uh, looking at verse 14. And so let's look at this together. Starting in verse 14. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, obviously, we'll close this passage out, but that's it right there. That's the main point. That's the entire parable. It's one, it's one sentence. It's one verse. That's the parable. Nothing from the outside can defile you. You can only be defiled from the inside out. And that points us into the nature of sin. First, let's talk about this word defilement. Now, for our purposes today, we're going to generalize this a little bit into the same meaning as sin. Those who are sinners are those who have been defiled, right? And we'll explain that as we go on. But to defile, this Greek word koino'o, it means to treat something sacred as ordinary. You take something that is sacred, something that is meant for good, something that is meant for godly purposes, and then you treat it ordinarily, Right? It's like starting a fire with a $100 bill. $100 bills are sacred to me, right? Because I'm not a millionaire. So I don't know what kind of life you live, but that's important, right? You go camping and everybody's like, hey, I got wood. I got a lighter. I just need something to start it up. Or, Here's some money. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's taking something that's important and using it for an ordinary purpose. Imagine somebody gives you a precious gift, right? Um, I like knives. Anybody else like knives? All right. That makes three of us which is kind of weird. Knives are really good tools. You know that, right? You don't just have to, like, they're good. So anyways, imagine somebody gives you a, you know, a pocket knife. It's got the finest steel. It's got the coolest wood. It's got gold trimmings and you know, all that kind of stuff. And somebody gives it to you, and it's got like a secret message in it. You, know, open, the, you open it up, the blade, and on the ma- blade is engraved, like, I love you, you're the best, you know, something, right? By the way, this would be a great, great gift for me, you know, any, just so you all know. But you do that, and then you say, oh, thank you. And then you throw it into your dirty tool bag. <laughs> and then, like, you know, when your kids need to cut something up, you say, yeah, go grab my knife. They'll leave it outside. It'll get rusted, and you won't care because you're taking that sacred thing and treating it as an ordinary thing, right? That's the idea here. And the Pharisees, they were concerned that the disciples were defiling the human tradition when really it was not the human tradition that was so sacred and by upholding their human traditions and accidentally nullifying God's word, by, by, by overemphasizing these human traditions, what they actually did was defile two of God's most sacred of initiatives. First of all, his word. Second of all, people. It's something that we often miss out on, I think, is how sacred and how dignified we are as his most prized creation. There's nothing else in the universe like us. He put all he had into us, right? We are sacred. We were meant for his purposes. We were meant for his glory. Now, these Pharisees, they weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about the hands and the food and the external parts of it all, more than the human heart. And it proves that their understanding of sin, their understanding of what was truly offensive to God was way off, like way off. And so today... Let's talk about the nature of sin. I didn't really expect to go this way today, especially with like a celebratory like Camp Sunday, you know. But that's just kind of what came out. So that's what we're going with. But on the flip side, I think when we understand sin, we understand grace all the more. Because where sin multiplies, grace multiplies even more. That's Romans 5.20. And we're going to say that throughout the entire day this morning. We're going to remind ourselves of this verse through the entire day because I want us to understand that even though we're going to talk about the immense nature of sin, nothing about sin is greater than the grace that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And so keep that balance in your heart, okay? But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And one of the points that I want to remark on from this passage is simply this that sin, sin is innate. Sin is innate right? Um, a guy from the last service uh, told me we were talking about sin, and he told me that he knew a guy who came up to him and said, hey, just so you know, it's been three days since, since I've sinned. And he's like, wow, that's impressive, you know? And he's like, you're still a sinner though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's been three days since I last sinned. What is that? Right? That's like, totally, like, sin really just is a bad decision for you. No. Sin is so much deeper, it's so much more sinister, and it's so much more innate. It's a defilement that's not just a consequence you earn when you neglect the traditions and the ceremonies. That's not even what it is. It is a corruption that you and I bear from the beginning. It is in you. It is in your blood. It is in your DNA. We are sacred beings made ordinary by sin. That's who we are. But when, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. But let's take a moment here to talk about the sacred nature of who we are as God's creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And then looking at verse 31, this is what we find out about who we are, who we were meant to be. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Isn't that awesome? He's talking in the plural there. Let us make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are the only pe- aspect of any of God's creation that bear the likeness of the Trinity within us. Isn't that amazing? That He has deposited and marked us, uh, uh, deposited into us and marked us as His own by bearing His very likeness, and as people with His likeness, He charged us with being His kind of authority on the world to rule and subdue and fulfill and multiply. It says uh, uh, later in verse 26, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. That's all his territory, and he invites us into it. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Verse 31, if you fast forward just a little bit, he looks back on what he created. And if you know the creation account, he always looks back at the end of the day and says, look at what I've created. This is good. This is good, right? But on the sixth day there was something extra good about it. He looks back on mankind and he sees mankind's relationship with the earth and he he sees what he created on that day and he looks back on verse 31 and he says, it was very good indeed. Dare I say this was his favorite day because it was very good. That's not a remark we get about the other days. And so you can see the dignity and the sacredness of humanity made in his image, called to rule and subdue we're not merely good we are very very good so we got to understand that our defilement is not one of ordinary beings made evil it is one of sacred and dignified beings made ordinary and there is not much difference between us and the animals now right the more humanity has progressed the more that gap is not becoming so so far apart and if you think about it, you know, a lot of humanity and a lot of what we're about is just about chasing the appetites of our, of our bellies. You know, lust and sex and, and food and all of the other things that we, like we're just primal creatures to some degree. We're just, we're just more smart about satisfying the appetites. But it's still all a chase for power. It's still all a chase for just, you know, itching, whatever that is in there. It's not optimistic except for Jesus Christ, because where sin, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. If it weren't for Jesus, then this world would already be completely gone. <laughs> if it weren't Jesus holding, holding it together, then we would already be done. Sin is innate, and we all got it. Sin is also uh, internal. Sin is also internal. Yes, there are outward markers of sin. Look with me at verses, uh, towards the end of our passage, verses 21 through 23. For from within, he says, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, from people's hearts, and defile a person. Right? That's the nature of sin. It's internal. Yes, it has physical markers on the outside that play out in a litany of ways. But it all comes from the inside. It all comes from the heart. That's where sin is most present, and that's where it does its worst work. And so before we start harping on behavior and lifestyle and the physicalities of of everything that honestly just heap upon pressure, upon pressure, upon pressure... There has got to be some concern from God's people for the hearts of the, of individuals. There has got to be some concern for people's spiritual condition, knowing that to truly manage and respond to sin, it's got to be something internal. We spend so much time harping about physicalities of the world and how everything's, you know, everything's off and everything's wrong, and blah, 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 and we just Sharing the gospel with the people who need it is the very last thing we'll try. We'll bicker and complain for decades before we ever actually try sharing the gospel, knowing it's the gospel. It's Jesus. He is the only thing that can, that can work in a person from the inside out. Everything else is just mute. It doesn't work. And that's the whole point of our, of our passage here today. Put simply in the context of this passage, you could eat the finest most organic, purest foods and wash your hands one billion times before eating. And it won't change one thing about your sinful condition. It won't change one thing about who you are when it comes to being a sinner. It also won't earn you any, any grace from uh, Jesus. It won't earn you any better position with God. And so we're going to continue to talk about sin. But before I do, i got to just like, I've got to acknowledge this. It's not the point at all of the day, but it's in our passage. And so I just want to acknowledge it. Because if you're reading from the CSB, which I am, and that's the black Bibles around you, then you notice that you go from verse 15 to verse 17. Anybody else notice that? Nobody. Okay, so a few, a few of you did, right? It's just a weird thing, so I've got to call it out. My Bible, at the very bottom, there's a note. A reference, and it says that some manuscripts, MSS, some manuscripts include verse 16, which says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Jesus often ended his parables that way, and some of you might actually have verse 16 in your body. Some of you probably have it noted somewhere else, and then some of you, if you have it in the body of your text, it's probably noted in the text. The reason for this is If you go back to the earliest manuscripts, some of them included verse 16, some of them didn't. And so our new translations will just make note of it somewhere, either in the body or beneath it. Either way, it's probably a note in your scriptures somewhere. Does that make sense? There's a few verses where that's the case. There's a few sections of verses where that's the case. Overall, it's still pretty remarkable how God has provided for his word and sustained his word over the millennia, Right? And so, there you go. Totally beside the point. Not really the main thing of what we're talking about today, but it's there. And I didn't want you to be confused, being like, he never talked about 16, because it's not there. So let's continue, right? Verse 17, when he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? for it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. That's gross. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. At that point in time, he's talking about the heart, not what has been eliminated out of your body. Okay? And so this brings us to another note that I want to make about sin. And it's simply this, that sin is equalizing. Now, there is nothing good about sin. But if there were, It would be its ability to force a level playing field, right? And I think this is a huge deal, especially to the audience that Mark was intended for. The gospel of Mark intended for the Gentiles. This is a really, really big deal because when Jesus takes this teaching and by adding that parenthetical statement, thus he declares all foods clean, what we see here is a giant barrier crumbling between Jesus and Gentiles. And if you think about all of the playing factors here. You have Jesus who is Jesus. You have the Pharisees who are all up in arms about being you know, elite and perfect and they're following of the human traditions. You have some Jews, Jesus' followers, who are just like, Jesus is going this way, I'm going to go this way, even if that means ignoring your human traditions. And then you have the Gentiles who are just clean, all, uh, unclean all the way through because of how the Jews saw them. And so for this passage to read as it does and then all of the food to be cleared clean... A giant cultural barrier is falling between Jesus and his audience, which I think is remarkable, right? It's pretty, pretty awesome. But we've got to understand that Jesus, in his gracious and most masterful way, takes this awesome teaching. And what he does is he takes the Pharisee, the Jew, and the Gentile, and he puts them all on the same footing because that's what sin does. Because it doesn't matter what your traditions or what you do or what you prefer. You are no better than anyone else in this room when it comes to sin. And you are also not any less loved because of sin. You are all in the same position. We are all in the same position. No one here is better than anyone else. I don't know what your view of yourself is. Maybe you see yourself as a Gentile, unclean and unworthy. It's probably a better place to begin, to be honest. Maybe you see yourself as a Pharisee. I'm killing it. I haven't sinned for three days, right? maybe that's how you see yourself. I don't know. The point is, don't. You are level. We are level. We are on the same playing field. And Jesus, in his grace, has inserted this passage into this place in his scriptures. For it doesn't go into the heart. Verse 19 says it, it goes into the stomach, and it's eliminated. For us, literally, it goes into the toilet. For them, I don't know. It goes into a hole in the ground, and then you quickly cover it up, and you have some fig leaves on the ready. I don't know what their way was at that time. But the point is, the point is, what you bring from the outside, that's not what defiles you. The reality is that we are all defiled. We are all defiled, and we need the same cure, and it's Jesus Christ. And he is available to everyone. Regardless of what you think, he is available to everyone. Because where sin multiplied what? Grace multiplied even more. On the note of the heart, the source of sin. That's where sin comes from, from from in us. He continues to talk about the heart as being sin, being an inside-out issue. And he says in verse 21, for from within, out of people's hearts, come the list, right? The list of things. Verse Verse 23, all of these evil things come from within and defile. A person. And here we see in Jesus' literal teaching a parable for all of us, okay? This is for all of us because we all bear the external markers of living in a sinful world. We all wear it on our bodies, right? Our backs and our spines are compressed under all of the pressure that we carry every single day. It's there. But what this passage also helps us understand Is that we're not just victims in this world, we are the perpetrators as well. That because of your sin, you're not just a victim, you are a perpetrator. Because of your sin, you don't just bear the grief, you cause the grief. You don't just suffer, you cause the suffering. And I do as well. We feel pain and we cause pain. I would say even the most well-intended uh, uh, person is going to leave some kind of hurt on another person, a father to his child, a mother to, uh, his, uh, to her child, a friend, like whatever your most well-intended relationship is, you're still liable to hurt that person because not only do you bear sin, you inflict sin on other people. It's who we are. It's what we do, even if our intentions are perfect which is why we have got to handle this in our lives as an internal, innate, spiritual issue and quit trying to manage our sinfulness by just exterior things. We have got to do that. If you struggle with what you're looking at on a computer or on your phone, throwing the phone away is a good step. It doesn't cure anything. You've got to handle it from the inside out because that's what sin is. It's an inside out problem. And one of the ways that we can do this, just to give you three little pieces of just practicality as we end our time together, the first thing that I want to just encourage us all to do is to live in constant heart examination. We have got to examine our hearts and we've got to make it a regular practice, as is seen in the entire library of the scriptures, it's all throughout. You can't find a book or an author who doesn't mention in some way examining the heart. It is part of how we are to operate as believers. For example, just a few. Job chapter 13, verse 23. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Lamentations 340. Jeremiah says, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Psalm 139, one of the more famous passages about this. Verse 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. It is an invitation from us to God to say, hey, I'm cutting my heart open and I want you to fix it. Like I'm doing, I, I, I'm bringing myself to you. I am, I am submitting myself to you and I want to practice this self-examination and give you full voice and full uh, speaking power into my heart because I understand that all of these exterior things that I'm doing that I'm not proud of are coming from here. And so will you fix me here? And then yes, there are markers of spiritual maturity as well. I'm not focused on that right now. I'm focused on this. We've got to... Bring our hearts for full examination before the Lord. And for those of us who don't, I promise, I promise, there is a layer of self-awareness that you don't have. I I haven't sinned for three days. That is a guy who is completely unaware. We had another lady from church a long, long time ago. It doesn't go here anymore, so don't try to figure out who it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, but she, you know, we were talking. Uh, there was a sermon a long time ago on I think pre- Peter four. You know, just being done with sin, and, and she actually said, well, "I haven't, I haven't dealt with sin in a long time, years." That's a total lack of self awareness. That is a life and a lifestyle without true examination of the heart without any humility, without any brokenness, without any understanding of the true gravity of what sin actually is. Because if we understood what sin is, then we would be examining this stuff a lot. A lot, a lot. Bring this stuff before the Lord. I don't want you to be lacking in self-awareness where you're cruising through your Christian life thinking that you're killing it and everyone else around you is like, something's wrong with that guy. You think your Bible knowledge is, you know, people just are infatuated with you. They think you're just killing it. When they can see that you're just really not a, uh, you're, you're a non-anxious presence. You make everybody uneasy. You put everybody on eggshells. You don't see it because you think you're killing it. Everybody else can see it. That's a scary place to be. Me and Brett often talk about how scary it is to lack self-awareness. Something about us that everybody else can see but we can't. This is a straight way to that practice self-examination a few tips on this if you want to actually practice this i this is a great way to end your day it's actually something that's been in the church history for a really really long time is to end the day with a prayer of reflection think about your day pinpoint the things that you're grateful for and speak gratitude to the lord and then also notice the things that could have been better and confess those to the lord Confess them to the Lord. Ask him to speak into those things. Um, If through that process you notice that there's some heart issues that are lingering and they're deep, right? Lust, anger, pride. Then start radically and violently praying against those things in that time. Honestly, I mean, I think a lot of times we spend our prayer times praying for, you know, all the physical things, and that's good. Like, it's good to pray for people who are sick and, you know, injured, all that kind of stuff, praying for just our future, for provision. When was the last time you were able to identify a deep sinful issue in your heart and you prayed radically against that thing for a season? I bet God would do something remarkable in your life if you did that. We've got to examine our hearts. It's got to be a practice of our obedience to Jesus. Secondly is this. Quit adding pressure. And I understand if you don't have self-awareness then you don't know that you're doing this. But if God gives you clarity today and helps you realize that you are heaping upon pressure on yourself and on other people then ask him to identify those places today and start to make practical steps against that because you are crippling yourself and others. And it's pretty serious right in one way i and i'm i'm victim of this i do this a lot as i delay in like if i sin or if i fall short if there's something that happens and i'm just ashamed of myself then you know what i'll do i'll sit in that shame for quite a while even though the gospel's already freed me from it and in that i'm saying you know i understand jesus like what you did for me is good and all but i need to do this if you're not going to punish me for this then i'm going to do it and that's not a good place to be that's a disbelief in the gospel if you've done something and in your process of examining your heart, you, you, you identify it. Confess it. Remember his forgiveness and move on. Keep going. Do what he's called you to do because if you sit in that shame, you're not going to do what he really wants for you. And in regards to us keeping pressure on other people, my practical advice for you is this. Just like don't share every opinion. And I know that seems so simple. But it is so hard for all of you keyboard warriors out there and everybody who's just so passionate that you have to share your opinion about every single thing. I'm just telling you, when you do, at best, no one cares. At worst, your discontentment is contagious and it's hurting the perception of whatever you're talking about to other people. And that's not good either. Don't share every opinion. Keep so much of that between you and the Lord. You will, you will be so free in your own spirit, but you will also be a kind presence for other people. You might be surprised at how many people want to actually get to know you now that you've learned how to not say everything. It's a spiritual gift, I promise. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. And I share that verse just to say, this is how I want to see people, and this is how we should see people, not from a worldly perspective. This is how we should see church. Look at the spiritual potential, the spiritual vitality. Quit getting lost in the exteriors of things and focus on what really matters. And if 15 years of ministry has taught me anything, it's taught me how to not care about superficial, less Things and to really care about the two or three things that are absolutely essential. Third is this, and this is the most important, obviously. We have got to walk with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, because as we've said, sin is sinister, and it's from the inside out. It's part of you, and he's the only one who could rid you from it. None of your other methods, none of your other tactics, none of your 12-step, you know, self-help, material that's just not going to help you they can be useful if they point you to jesus and if they work jesus into the process but jesus is who you need and if you have jesus then you have his holy spirit you have his word you have his people you have so many more resources than you know to help you in this in this way sin is an internal issue with physical markers don't get lost in the physical markers get lost in the love of jesus christ follow Jesus give him a chance to transform you from the inside out so that you are more like him in attitude and in character and in worldview and then yeah your lifestyle will probably get better as a result focus on the internal walk with the Lord we have such a hard time with this don't we we want to see immediate impact we want to see immediate physical results it's so hard Parents who spend way more, like so much more time controlling behavior than they ever do teaching prayer or teaching their kids how to have a relationship with Jesus through his word. Churches who spend more time preaching against bad behavior, preaching against culture than they do preaching against, for the spiritual disciplines in people. Husbands and wives spending too much time criticizing one another than they do praying together. Young people giving themselves into relationships with people who look good, but their spiritual trajectory is downward. Take seriously the spiritual and internal matter of things. Quit looking so heavily at the things on the outside, they just don't matter. It doesn't matter how you look on social media. Stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how nice your family photo looks. It doesn't matter how many things you have. It doesn't matter how busy you are. All that matters is Jesus. Let him drive everything else. He wants something so much deeper and richer for you and for me. And I don't want to spend my time getting bent out of shape about who's washing their hands or not. What a pointless, stupid thing. That is so pointless. It does not do anything for the person who's in need because they're wrapped up in their sin. All it does is add pressure, and people implode and explode as a result of that. Without Jesus, all there is is defilement. In Jesus, grace multiplies even more. Let's pray. Our God, we we humbly submit ourselves to you and ask you to do some surgery here in this moment as we take just a few minutes to examine our hearts and to submit ourselves to you. Father, that you would identify things in our lives that are causing pressure to ourselves and others. That you would identify our poor mishandling with sin. Our, our immense, um, our immense uh, just, just discredit, discrediting of, uh, of grace. Father, for the disparities in our walk with you, if we're not walking with you, God, I just pray that you would reveal what you need to reveal in this moment and that whatever the result is, that it would be that we would know you more and that we would follow you more because you're the only answer. Father, we love you. Be with this time in response. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna leave just that last slide up on the screen for you to just kind of prod your thinking as you spend a few moments praying with the Lord. But listen, if you're here, And you've never given your life to Jesus, and you realize, like, I am just, I'm pressurized. I'm about to explode. Like, that's your existence, and you've been that way for the last couple of years. I don't know. You need to know Jesus is your answer, and in a moment, like, no kidding, in a moment, he can forgive you. He can relieve you. The world's still going to be the world, and it sucks sometimes, but he's going to give you everything you need so that you have the steel and the titanium in your craft to bear the pressure because you have the Holy Spirit, and you have his grace and love in your life. And if you need that, and if you want that today, today is your day of salvation. So don't let this time slip by without you having that moment with the Lord and then sharing that with myself or another pastor elder in the room who would love to just pray with you uh, as you make your way into glory. So we love you. Take this time with the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this day. We're grateful for your love for your provision. Father, we ask that this moment we continue through the week and on. Um, God, that you would use uh, everything that's occurred today through your word, through the fellowship with believers, through uh, community and through worship. God, that you would just continue what you've done here. God, that you would help us be pressure relievers, not pressure adders, that you would help us uh, to walk with you and to not be bound up by our own shame, to trust the gospel. Father, Help us in whatever the net, that next step is. And for those in this room who might have placed their hope and trust in Jesus uh, this morning for the first time, I pray that you would give them all they need to start this journey well. God, we love you, and we're grateful for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, you guys are dismissed. Take note of the announcements floating around in the bulletin, and we're right up to passing period. So say hey to somebody at the next service. We love you guys.